All right, so as the uh, title slide reveals, we are going to con be concluding with the study we've been going on on the serpent and the serpent slayer. I hope you've enjoyed this, this study as much as I have. Um, and so we're going to be covering the author's conclusion. I don't generally cover a conclusion, by the way. It's just that it was really good. Um, and so I want to share that with you. Um, so with that, um, there are a number of um, themes or, or points that he wants to bring out in this conclusion, but it's all addressing um, what sometimes comes to us as a very difficult question as we read about these things, like the theme that we have going on here of uh, the serpent, of course, being the devil and the serpent slayer being Christ. Um, we believe it. It's, it's wonderful news, but what do we do with it? Now, the question of now what comes up. And so, you know, as we look at this briefly again, this, this storyline here, um, it should be pointing to what we should be doing and how we live as a Christian. So there's six things we're going to go through here. Uh, the first one he notes in his conclusion is don't imitate the poisonous serpent. All right. Of course, we don't desire to imitate him. The challenge is that we sometimes sure do seem like we're trying to imitate him. Sometimes we do. Um, the serpent's offspring, they imitate the serpent, just as we are as Christians are to be imitating our Father, be imitating Christ, our Lord and Savior. We need to be aware of what the serpent's offspring are doing. Uh, in John 8, verse 44, it reads, You are of your father the devil. Of course, again, um, Christ is at this point speaking about the Pharisees, and uh, but addressing those who were unbelievers. You are of the devil, of the father, you're the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So there you have it. Our description in a very short way of of some of the chief characteristics of the serpent, of the devil. According to Christ, we as Christians can imitate the serpent, this poisonous serpent, in, in, in many ways. But for mankind in general, the three things he brings out is murder, rejecting the truth, and lying. Those are the three things that he's pulling out in this passage anyways. Um, so whenever we see the offspring of the serpent employing tactics that we would put in the category of murder, they're seeking to devour like the serpent wants to devour. Remember, there's two main strategies we talked about. He likes to do to deceive and to devour. Well, certainly you would put murder under the category of devouring. And we can see that in our culture. Just the evil in abortion, for example, and what that does, and how wicked that is, and how blind so much of the world is to this blatant fact of murder. But that's the devil doing his business, working in, in, with a, our, our flesh to devour. 
Okay? Another one, again, rejecting the truth. That is the serpent using the tactic and strategy to deceive. Um, we can see that played out in examples of the social gospel that we hear out there and, and that we strongly desire to reject, but it can be so subtle at times because the, its answers can seem so good at times because it can seem practical. Well, surely that's a good thing because X, Y, Z results in it, or at least we think we get good results in it. The social gospel is a, is a lie. It rejects the truth. Um, the prosperity gospel, you know, kind of falls into that, um, that category. Um, what we've seen so much pushed in our culture this day with, you know, um, CRT and, um, and, and, and teachings along that line, things that we're going to get to study some more this, this summer in our small group. Uh, these are the truth being perverted and twisted. It's, it's a deception of the, of the devil. And then the third one that is in this passage in John is the lies, okay? And, uh, and that's the poison. That's the poison. Of course, he's deceiving when he's doing this, setting up someone to be devoured often, but it's the poison of the serpent. And what's so difficult to understand and really is heartbreaking and humbling to realize is that that's, that's often one that Christians can be guilty of and falling under. That, that joining in with that strategy of slander or gossip. Um, you know, there is a, so those are the strategies, deceive, devour, and it's the poison that we see that's coming, that comes out of that. Uh, there's a book that I'm going through right now um, by G.K. Beale, and it's called We Worship, or rather, We Become What We Worship. Now, that's a metaphor, of course. It's not saying that as Christians we will become God, right? But this, this truth of we are become Christ-like, and as we worship him, we are to be, become more and more like Christ. Well, we can do that with sin as human beings. Um, and one of the judgments you can see in a person's life is, is that they've grasped on to a particular sin, like lying. Eventually, they become characterized by that sin, don't they? And they're no, understood to be, well, he's a liar. And, you know, the list goes on. And so you, we, just going again, the, the title that Beale has here, we become what we worship, is so true. Um, but it's that, that poison and the lies that so often hit us uh, as we use our tongues. So let's look at this familiar passage in James chapter 3. He says, And the tongue is a fire, James writes, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird a reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, a full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. 
from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. It's true. As Christians, we can sin by imitating the serpent. And the tongue is often uh, the quickest route for the devil to accomplish his purposes. There's a couple of ways here that we can imitate the serpent that Nasley in his book calls out, and he uses Peter as an example how in a couple of ways he did this. Um, as Christians, we can sin by deceiving others to believe what is false. Sometimes we do it and don't realize we're doing it. You know, ignorance is not a, an excuse in defense, but sometimes we can do that because we're not well versed in the truth of the word. Peter sinned that way. Um, and one of the examples that Nasley gave is when, if you recall, when he separated himself from the Gentiles in, in Galatians chapter 2 at Antioch. And Paul, he confronts him about this. Well, Peter misled other Jewish Christians in that time. He misled them, even so much that he was able to mislead Barnabas, the son of encouragement, as his name meant. So, you know, our misleading, you know, another example we see in scriptures, you know, Aaron and the golden calf. Um, in Exodus 32, um, it says, the people gathered, now Moses is up on the mountain, right? And they're going, wow, he's been gone for a long time. What do we do? So quickly forgetting. So the people gathered themselves around, together around Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And of course, um, it does not go well for them, does it? But that's an example, a man, Aaron, who was chastised heavily by Moses um, for this, he misled the people. And it caused an entire nation to sin. And they, the consequences of it were devastating. Sometimes it is that far-reaching. We can do it when we act hip hypocritically. We can mislead by leaving hypocritical lives. Another example is as parents, when we refuse to train our children, we can mislead them into um, thinking, you know, it's, it's uh, the way I'm thinking and speaking and living is the way that I should be doing it. Now, we can't control our children in, in the sense of making them think a certain way. But we have a lot of power as parents. Um, but those are just some ways that we can mislead and that we can fall into. Uh, the second thing that Nasley writes, a way we can um, imitate the poisonous servant is as making um, ourselves, possibly other people, but really thinking that we're better to, than God in some way. Um, again, using Peter as an example, when he rebuked Jesus, um, when Christ prophesied about his death and resurrection, remember how Peter was quickly rebuked in front of everybody, saying, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, Christ said. 
For you are not setting your, your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So we can do that as well. We're not thinking properly. We actually think we're, we're better than God in some way. We would never say those words. But even David, in his, in his example, when he stayed behind, when he should have been with the army, and he stayed behind enjoying, quote, the fruits of his labor, if you will, kind of a little microcosm picture of what Nebuchadnezzar went through. Now, David was turned back by just recognizing and being humbled by his own sin. Certainly, Nebuchadnezzar took some supernatural action to happen to turn him around, but we see that as well. He, he had an arrogant heart. Um, we can do that not acknowledging God throughout our day. That is an arrogant way of living our life, not acknowledging him, not realizing, again, uh, we know better. We know how much we depend upon him. So these are subtle ways that we can do this, things that Nasli shares, just that we should be on guard. If the Apostle Peter was fell victim to this, certainly we should understand that we need to be on guard all right, the next um, item that he lists, number two, about uh, how we should be living now that we've learned and discussed this theme. Well, we should beware of the serpent as the deceiving snake and devouring dragon. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, Seeking someone to devour. There you are, right? We have the strategy actually laid out there, devouring. Peter starts off with a command as well. We are to be sober-minded and watchful, on the alert. You know, here God describes Satan. He doesn't describe him as the snake who's deceiving and devouring, but as a roaring lion. But it's basically conveying the same idea of this devouring dragon. You know, the takeaway here is the point he's making is Satan is not our friend. He is our adversary. He never has our best interests in mind. He is hunting you. You are his prey. That's a, a daunting thing to consider, considering how powerful he is. You know, he sneaks around trying to find someone like you to devour. We have, Peter talks about that as he writes to the believers. So, beware. Be on guard. That's our instruction here. Expect him to attack and expect him to be relentless and to keep on attacking. Now we'll get talk about, you know, what we have to deal with these attacks but in a minute, but expect him to attack. Expect him to come. Seeing how close that you can come up to temptation, seeing how, how far you can go. You know, the problem so often with that is you won't see where and when you've crossed that line. You know, we are Satan's prey. And just thinking about those nature videos sometimes that you've maybe seen a clip of, you know, what in the safari, for example, what chance does the prey have when they're on their own? 
so often uh, the predators trying to find that moment when the prey is alone and isolated. We need each other, brothers and sisters. We need to be gathering together. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Uh, I often think of that verse when I'm going through something particular, being tested or some trial happens. Don't be surprised as if something strange were happening to you. I've told you this is going to happen. Expect it. Be prepared. 1 John 3.13, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. When you are reflecting Christ, our King, and you're in a, a setting that's outside your home, perhaps you're doing street evangelism as well, expect confrontation. Expect the, the looks, the words. Expect it. The world hates you. As it hates Christ. You know, Satan, in his deceiving scheme, doesn't tempt us by providing a list of pros and cons about the sin that we're considering and partaking in. He doesn't do that. You know, he lies. He's the father of lies. He knows that he cannot have your soul. So he will do his best to steal glory from the one who crushed his head by trying to convince Christ's bride that what Satan has to offer, what the world has to offer, is more beautiful and more worthy than Christ himself. That's what he wants to do. Steal glory. We must take these fiery trials, again, as mentioned before, as opportunities to show Satan how truly preferable, and lack of a better word at the moment in my head, how preferable Christ is to whatever the devil is offering. And when we do so, we honor Christ. And we're another step of putting him, that, that serpent, under our feet. There's a quote I want to share with you here. Um, from Nasily. He says, the imagery of snakes and dragons, which I hope you've enjoyed this particular unique theme here. Um, this imagery of snakes and dragons should shock you out of spiritual slumber so that you see the world as it really is. Satan really is a deceiving snake and a devouring dragon. He is scheming to deceive and destroy you with false teaching. He wants you to believe what is false. Um, so beware of the deceiving snake and devouring dragon, he writes. And he quotes Tolkien here from The Hobbit. He says, using this quote, it does not do, it does not do to leave a live dragon out of your calculations if you live near him. And brother and sister, you do live near this dragon. He's the prince of the power of the air. Never underestimate this enemy. Be on guard. With that, the next point he makes here is to fight the serpent as the deceiving snake and devouring dragon. We are to fight the good fight. 
as it's mentioned in First Timothy. Fight a good fight. There are five passages that Nasli provides here that helps instruct us as, as fighters here. Um, so let's go through some of these. Or actually, let's just go through each one of them. Second Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 6. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. We don't play by those rules. We don't wage war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And take every thought captive to obey Christ. And being ready to punish every disobedience when your disobedience is complete. In other words, deal with your sin first. Deal with your sin first. Ephesians 4, verses 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now this command here to be angry we're going to get angry we're supposed to as christians when there's injustice we're not supposed to when our pride is that it's being assaulted of course this takes wisdom and maturity you know we're supposed to be as we're instructed by paul in many cases james to be under self-control but to be angry against sin and hating the sin that god hates be angry and do not sin 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, verses 8 and 9. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. What is it that gives us comfort as human beings to know that we're not alone in the fight? We, we aren't. You know, we had a chance to read some of the letters from our brothers and sisters that we pray for and their encouragement in the fact that they know that we're praying for them. We're not alone. No, the devil wants to isolate us and make us think we're alone sometimes. Then James 4, verse 7, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And then last, a uh, longer passage here, but wow, it's such a good one. Um, in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, 
praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. These passages that we went through rather quickly, they are chock full of fighting action words. We are the church militant while we are on this side of heaven. We are warriors for Christ. This, in verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We didn't, this is the struggling that we, we do as Christians. Yes, we may fail and fall in sin. But the Lord will keep us and lift us up. We must confess our sin to him. It would be about killing sin in our lives. But that's the struggle. That's the wrestle. And then we're giving such, given such divine power that is talked about here through the word of God and the faith that he's given us. Recognizing all this that we have in Christ. We're not helpless sheep. We are when we try to do this alone, but not with Christ. Not with Christ. We are commanded to be meek. Meek is what we're commanded to be. But being meek doesn't mean we don't fight. We don't, it doesn't mean we don't fight with all that we have in the strength of the Lord to beat that devil or to contend for the faith. No, confrontation will happen. It, it did for Christ. And as we reflect him, it will happen for us. On this same point, Jude writes in verses 3 and 4 of his book, or his letter, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that once that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. We fight the serpent by contending for the faith against such grace-perverting immorality that even can sneak in into our churches. We do this by one of the things even nastily lists here, excommuting false teachers, these intruding snakes, by treasuring what is true and rejecting what is false, by loving what God loves and hating what God hates. Serving one another is an essential part in this. That's you know, doing good works. Refusing to do evil, even when the uh, civil authorities would prompt us to do that. Thank God we don't have to openly deal with that issue. But you know, we have the example with the Hebrew midwives, for example, what that looked like. Um, and around the globe, brothers and sisters in, in nations like China, for example. Even our nation at one time tried to shut down churches. Remember Grace Community Church, what MacArthur had to deal with for so long. It happens. That devil can make you think that his arguments are very compelling. 
you must be convinced to the very core of your being from the heart that what he is is just simply undiluted evil. That he is a thief, a murderer, and a liar, always. So we've got to recognize this. You know, he's the ultimate traitor. Always desiring to take glory away from God. But we must not fear. We must not fear. Because we can exult in the serpent slayer. It's another point he has in here. Much reason to be rejoicing. You know, what is the chief in the man but to glorify God and enjoy him forever? And we enjoy him as we exult in Christ. And you know, think about what he's really telling us here to do is think about what Christ has done as the serpent slayer, what he's already done, and what he will finally do to that beast. And we should feel elated about that. It should come out in our voices as we're singing and reminding, being reminded of this stuff. You know, if thinking about these things doesn't make you rejoice, you've got to wonder what will. We should exult in the serpent slayer. We do this as we acknowledge him, as we are grateful to him. This honors him when we are grateful. And we remember his death. We're going to take the Lord's Supper again today. Remembering his death. That loving sacrifice that he poured out for his bride, for you. And remembering the resurrection, the power displayed there. The same power that raised you from your spiritual death, the scripture tells us. Christ's own resurrection being another sign of the Father's approval of what he accomplished. So we exult in the serpent slayer. We also enjoy good serpent slaying stories as echoes of the greatest story. I really appreciate him bringing this, this point in here. You know, you didn't have to do it because, frankly, the last one kind of covers this. But, you know, there are things that we get to enjoy. And even in our culture, these stories that echo the greatest story. I think that's one of the things that drove him in his writing of this, of this book, to be honest. Good stories typically echo that greatest story. You know, often you see that villain being in some way in those strategies of deceiving or devouring or having a poisonous tongue of some sort, sim symbolizing the serpent. Learn to enjoy these stories, Nastly encourages. Learn to enjoy them as they echo this greatest story. You know, good stories don't flirt with evil and try to confuse our minds into thinking what good is is bad or bad is good stories that make you want to root for a protagonist who's about to commit adultery that's not good that's not a good story it's a strategy of the devil over time breaking us down the greatest stories do the best job of showing this, this, this theme, this picture of the serpent and the serpent slayer. You know, I don't think we, you know, we do have a little bit of time here. Is there any stories that come to y'all's mind that really stand out? A, a good story that has this portrayed? Maybe some of your favorites? 
Yes, David. Yeah, definitely, Lord of the Rings. You know, he often used that as an example. Any other? Yeah, you bet. Love Lewis. Love the, those those books there. I mean, that's what he's trying to do in the background there. These are great stories. There are so many stories out there that encourage bravery and courage in the midst of daunting trials. So many of them that are true, in fact. You know, these heroes of the faith type stories. So enjoy these good stories. And if you've got kids, tell them to your kids. All right. Last one here. Making good time. Of course, it'd be this one. Trust the serpent slayer. We are to trust the Lord, our Savior, who crushed that head of the serpent. You know, we can't, again, defeat him on our own. But God is greater than that serpent. Here we have that verse in 1 John 4, verse 4. Little children, he that is in you are from God and overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. There are going to be times when the serpent is persecuting you or your brothers and sisters. And you're going to feel afraid and desperate, maybe even depressed, isolated, as if you're maybe the only one. It's, it's odd to witness so many times um, how often you see a sheep struggling and they, for some reason, start to isolate themselves. That's falling into the devil's trap. You got to remember the whole storyline, folks. You know, we know the ending, but the whole entire storyline, yeah, there's struggle in there. Difficult and tragic events are going to happen. And it comes by the hand of the Lord. And it's for our good. Trust the serpent slayer. You know he's already decisively beat that serpent. And someday he's going to be done away with him for good. So don't play into his hand. Don't play into his hand. Understand his tactics, these strategies. And, and those fighting action words and those passages that we went over, you know, there's so much there in the word of God that we have. So often we think, well, what do I do now? What do I, I don't know what to do. As you, you could just go through that passage in Ephesians 6 and think about, all right, if I'm going to be putting on the armor of God and, and I'm going to be um, innocent as a dove and wise as a serpent, what do you think I need to be doing? I need to be pouring myself into the word of God. I need to be praying for self-control. I need to be praying for my, my enemies. There are things that you can be doing as you're reading through these lists of, again, very action-oriented words on instruction on what we can be doing now and what we should be doing now. The Lord's Prayer. Recall the Lord's Prayer, how he taught his disciples in Matthew 6, that God would lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Using that means of grace called prayer. So I'll close here with this, this last verse in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3. 
But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. He will finish that good work in you. He will, dear Christian. There's no need to despair. No need to be depressed. There are causes for it, indeed. But let's remember these things and rejoice. As, as, As James tells us to consider these things as joy, so... I'll close there. Any final comments or questions? Yes, Emmanuel. that he keeps you and delivers you from the evil one. Well, he talks about also in scripture, I mean, as scripture interprets scripture, um, in how he delivers us from the evil one. Um, he, James talks about, you know, resist him and he'll flee from you. It's, it's putting on this armor of, of God. You're putting on Christ and you're putting off the things of the world. And so it's a very intellectual religion that we have in Christianity. So we're learning and we're putting this truth to practice. Um, And as we believe these things and trust in them, he's delivering us from them, even in the midst of it, uh, of something, uh, some terrible circumstance from sin. He's delivering us from sin and from the devil um, through the word of God. What did Christ use himself when he was being tempted, but with the word of God? The devil kept coming back at him. Um, and he, Christ, used the word. And, of course, he believed it. So um, what's James talk about when we don't quite believe what it is we're praying for, quite believe what we're reading? You're going to be tossed to and fro, that person who doubts. And there's going to be times that we're doubting. But that's when we, we wrestle and struggle. And we come again humbly. So it's, it's, it's not just one thing we're doing. It's living the Christian life. And, and when he talks about um, not leading us into temptation, it's, it's leading us into not temptation, but leading us more into opportunities to trust in him. If we're going down a route that we're going to be particularly weak in, Lord, lead us away from that. If I struggle with eating donuts. Lord, may my drive home not go by Shipley's. I know that's a funny little anecdote there, but you can kind of get the picture. Leading us away from these things that we're maybe besetted with. That means we know what's going on and we're aware of our weaknesses. I don't know if I addressed your question directly, Emmanuel, um, but it's really, it's the whole package of depending on Christ. Any other comments or thoughts? You know, brothers and sisters, I, you know, I, I'm with you in that struggle. I understand 
what it, what it, what the devil can throw at you at times. And uh, we can be praying for one another. Again, that's such a powerful thing. We have in our order of worship five families that we can be praying for throughout the week, and it rotates. Praying for one another. That way you're not overwhelmed without who it is you're praying for, right? Um, that's just one example. So, all right, let's go ahead.